0: Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow, is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And as always, thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. I am stoked to be here today. You know, season four has been amazing so far, and I know that we're all in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. In a lot of ways, things could not be worse. We've all been totally disrupted. But I'm telling you, there is something in the air. And even though there is hardship all around us, we are finding that there are a group of people in this industry that are committed to seeing it through and are helping each other get there. And it's been really special to be a part of. Now, I teased this out a little bit at the end of last week's episode that this week our guest is very special. And I am excited to welcome to the show Bridget Brennan, who is an acclaimed author and keynote speaker. Now, as I read her latest book, Winning Her Business, well, I guess I should back up and say I didn't read it. I listened to it on a series of runs that I went on. But I found myself literally stopping mid-run with sweaty hands trying to pull out my phone, make a quick voice memo, or take a note based on some amazing nugget that she said. So I just know you're going to love this conversation. And I think what Bridget does so well is she is able to focus on simplicity and clarity in a way that many people can't. And I just think that her work is incredible in helping you simplify and clarify what you do and why you do it with your customers. So I'm really excited for you to get to hear this conversation. Now, I mentioned this the last couple of weeks, but we have a Patreon account open for the podcast. If this podcast is something that gives you value and you would like to support it financially, you can go to the website patreon.com slash itsfiretime. That's patreo dot com slash it's fire time. Now we've already seen Napoleon jump on board to support this podcast. And I just want to throw out the next challenge for who's going to be the next manufacturer to jump on and support this podcast to grow the industry. Now, I don't want this to be a burden for you, but if the podcast is something that gives you value and you want to contribute to the cause, this is going to help us outsource some of the administrative responsibilities of this podcast and allow us to keep producing content that's as high quality as possible. Now, one last thing I want to tell you about before we jump into this conversation is I mentioned last week that I was planning on going on a speaking tour in New England that was actually going to be happening in the early part of April. Obviously, in light of the COVID-19 crisis, that is not happening, but what we're doing instead is a series of webinars. And so we're going to be running a series of three webinars that are covering the same content I was planning on delivering in person. And the first one actually starts today at 11 a.m. Eastern. The next two will be on Tuesday the 21st and Tuesday the 28th. But today, I'm going to be taking you through building a digital sales plan and basically What do you do if your showroom is closed or is significantly understaffed where you can't serve customers in the same way? How do you build a digital model of sales to stay relevant during this time? The next webinar is called Sales Leadership, Tracking and Follow-Up. And basically, this is about how to focus your sales team on tracking every opportunity, following up with their customers, and creating a reporting system that can help you manage it. Lastly, we're going to talk about how do we put this into practice. And the last webinar on the 28th is going to be just a live workshop where I will jump in and help your business create this plan and implement it. So this is for Northeast HPBA members that were planning on coming to see me in person. I know that that's been interrupted, but you're going to be able to do this digitally. To sign up for these webinars, go to the website nehpba.org. That's n e hpba.org. And with that in mind, we're going to jump into this conversation with Bridget Brennan. I cannot wait for you to hear what she has to say. Joining me from Chicago, Illinois is an author and keynote speaker, CEO of The Female Factor, Forbes.com contributor, and member on the Women's Advisory Board for the Minnesota Vikings. I'm joined today by Bridget Brennan. Bridget, how you doing?
1: Great to be here.
0: Hey, that is a huge mouthful. And I didn't even add in like all the places that you've contributed to with like the New York Times, Fox News, all these different media outlets. You have been everywhere, Bridget.
1: Well, you know, it's a thank you for saying that. And, you know, the topic of women's economic impact uh, has really never, uh, never been bigger than where it is right now. So I'm excited to talk to you about this subject today.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, Bridget, I first came into contact with your work when a friend bought me a copy of Why She Buys. This is probably two years ago or so, and, and I was hooked. I, I, it made me realize, as, as a man, I uh, have a lot to learn when it comes to the way that I sell and the way that I relate in particular to female consumers. And so actually, last season in our podcast, we titled an episode, Why She Buys, Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow, is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And as always, thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. I am stoked to be here today. You know, season four has been amazing so far, and I know that we're all in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. In a lot of ways, things could not be worse. We've all been totally disrupted. But I'm telling you, there is something in the air. And even though there is hardship all around us, we are finding that there are a group of people in this industry that are committed to seeing it through and are helping each other get there. And it's been really special to be a part of. Now, I teased this out a little bit at the end of last week's episode that this week our guest is very special, and I am excited to welcome to the show Bridget Brennan, who is an acclaimed author and keynote speaker. Now, as I read her latest book, Winning Her Business, well, I guess I should back up and say I didn't read it. I listened to it on a series of runs that I went on, but I found myself literally stopping mid-run with sweaty hands trying to pull out my phone, make a quick voice memo, or take a note based on some amazing nugget that she said. So I just know you're going to love this conversation. And I think what Bridget does so well is she is able to focus on simplicity and clarity in a way that many people can't. And I just think that her work is incredible in helping you simplify and clarify what you do and why you do it with your customers. So I'm really excited for you to get to hear this conversation. Now, I mentioned this the last couple of weeks, but we have a Patreon account open for the podcast. If this podcast is something that gives you value and you would like to support it financially, you can go to the website patreon.com slash itsfiretime. That's patreo dot com slash it's fire time. Now we've already seen Napoleon jump on board to support this podcast. And I just want to throw out the next challenge for who's going to be the next manufacturer to jump on and support this podcast to grow the industry. Now, I don't want this to be a burden for you, but if the podcast is something that gives you value and you want to contribute to the cause, this is going to help us outsource some of the administrative responsibilities of this podcast and allow us to keep producing content that's as high quality as possible. Now, one last thing I want to tell you about before we jump into this conversation is I mentioned last week that I was planning on going on a speaking tour in New England that was actually going to be happening in the early part of April. Obviously, in light of the COVID-19 crisis, that is not happening, but what we're doing instead is a series of webinars. And so we're going to be running a series of three webinars that are covering the same content I was planning on delivering in person. And the first one actually starts today at 11 a.m. Eastern. The next two will be on Tuesday the 21st and Tuesday the 28th. But today, I'm going to be taking you through building a digital sales plan and basically What do you do if your showroom is closed or is significantly understaffed where you can't serve customers in the same way? How do you build a digital model of sales to stay relevant during this time? The next webinar is called Sales Leadership, Tracking and Follow-Up, and basically this is about how to focus your sales team on tracking every opportunity, following up with their customers, and creating a reporting system that can help you manage it. Lastly, we're going to talk about how do we put this into practice. And the last webinar on the 28th is going to be just a live workshop where I will jump in and help your business create this plan and implement it. So this is for Northeast HPBA members that were planning on coming to see me in person. I know that that's been interrupted, but you're going to be able to do this digitally. To sign up for these webinars, go to the website nehpba.org. That's n N-E-H-P-B-A. e hpba.org. And with that in mind, we're going to jump into this conversation with Bridget Brennan. I cannot wait for you to hear what she has to say. Joining me from Chicago, Illinois is an author and keynote speaker, CEO of The Female Factor, Forbes.com contributor, and member on the Women's Advisory Board for the Minnesota Vikings. I'm joined today by Bridget Brennan. Bridget, how you doing?
1: Great to be here.
0: Hey, that is a huge mouthful and I didn't even add in like all the places that you've contributed to with like the New York Times, Fox News, all these different media outlets. You have been everywhere, Bridget.
1: Well, you know, it's a thank you for saying that and you know, the topic of women's economic impact uh has really never um, never been bigger than where it is right now so I'm excited to talk to you about this subject
0: today oh absolutely well Bridget I first came into contact with your work when a friend bought me a copy of Why She Buys. This is probably two years ago or so, and, and I was hooked. I, I, it made me realize, as, as a man, I uh, have a lot to learn when it comes to the way that I sell and the way that I relate in particular to female consumers. And so actually, last season in our podcast, we titled an episode, Why She Buys, you know, in honor of, of the book. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. I want to ask you, though, you know... Can you talk about why understanding the mindset of the female consumer is something that every business needs to be aware of today?
1: Well, the main reason, Tim, that every business needs to be aware of it is because women are the engine of the entire global consumer economy, driving between 70 and 80% of all consumer purchasing through a combination of buying power and influence. And this influence is so important. What it means is even if a woman isn't the person turning over their credit card or checkbook to make a purchase, she is typically the influencer or the veto vote behind most consumer purchases. And this will really true with purchases within the home or household. And I know we are talking about the fireplace industry today, so that's very germane to this industry.
0: Absolutely. And I love what you said about the veto vote. That's so true. I mean, in our industry, you know, we have a very male dominated industry, and that's and that's changing, which is really cool. But, you know, when you think about like wood stoves, there's this stigma for like big burly men in overalls that buy them. And and maybe that's true in some cases, but I think you hit the nail on the head that that women are the veto vote, even if the purchase isn't for them. I think that's dead on.
1: Absolutely. And And, you know, usually when they're out in the marketplace buying, they're not just buying for themselves. They're typically representing multiple constituents whenever they are buying just about anything. Uh, So they tend to have a multiplier effect on sales because when you earn the loyalty and trust of one woman, you have the chance to earn the business of everyone in her household or social network or business network.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I want to get to the multiplier effect in just a second. But it's a funny story. We met, it's probably six months ago now, out in Minneapolis for HHT's Summer Summit. And you were the keynote speaker. And I, I heard about it. I was really excited. And I went and I sat in the front row during breakfast because I was I was getting ready. I was excited. I was going to take notes. And you came and sat down right next to me, just getting ready to talk. And we ended up chatting for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. I was oh, laughing because VP Berger was like, of course, it's fitting that you two are sitting up here talking to each other. But After that, you taught a course later on in that summit about customer experience and and what to be thinking about. And in particular, you talked about making it easy. And before we jump into your new book, can you just talk about why it's so important now to be thinking about making it easy if you're in a traditional business like we are?
1: Well, there's so many reasons to make it easy, not least of which is that e-commerce has changed our expectations about the experience, even in real life buying experiences. But one of the biggest reasons people need to pay attention to the customer experience and why actually it's such an opportunity for everybody listening, it's because great customer experiences are still the exception and not the rule, despite the fact that we've never had more ways to communicate with customers. It's kind of ironic when you think about it in that light. But because great customer experiences are the exception, that means it's an opportunity for everybody who's selling to consumers.
0: Yes, that's amazing. And I think that in our in our industry there's a lot of talk about online selling and big box retailers and there's and there's all kinds of pressures and things that people are worried about. And I think you're right that fine-tuning your customer experience to be amazing and delightful is something that can just showcase and retain your value despite the fact that there's other ways for people to buy that there weren't maybe 10 or 15 years ago. So, okay, I want to jump into this. So your latest book, Winning Her Business, it, it was amazing. And as I was reading it, there was multiple points where I was sending myself emails, writing down quotes. And what I'd like to do if it's cool with you is I want to hit you with some quotes from the book and then ask you to elaborate. How's that sound?
1: Sure. Okay.
0: So here's the first one that I got. So so in your book, you mention. Women engage in more emotional labor than men and are extremely busy with mental checklists. Because of this, you need to make it easy and convenient for them to buy from you or they won't. Can you talk to me about that?
1: Yes, well, that, yes, that, that, that's a little bit of a paraphrase, but the point is exactly right on, is that women are ba- basically, the way to think about them, Tim and everybody listening, is that women are typically juggling more than one job. The job that they have in the home that is typically unpaid and often a job outside of the home or multiple jobs. I mean, we are living in the age of the gig economy. Yeah. So w- when it comes to working with women as customers, what we know is that when people have less time to engage with a sales professional or less time to engage in shopping, their expectations go up. The less time they have, the more that they appreciate somebody who values and respects and saves their time.
0: Yeah, Well, I I remember when you talked about that mental checklist, I went home and I was talking to my wife and, and she's like, she's all the above. Like, obviously she bears a huge load with our family, but she has a job where she works remote as well. She's constantly thinking about other people and how the things that she does and purchases affects them. And I, I read her that paraphrase and she was like, that's my life. I don't don't, like it's got to be easy because I don't have time and there's too much at stake for me to make the wrong decision. And so it's very easy for them not to make a decision if you don't make it easy because there's so much at stake.
1: Well, exactly. And, you know, when you when you talk to your wife about that, I'm, I'm sure her point of view is like so many women, they need it to go right the first time because they don't have time to fix you know to fix it if it didn't go right. Yes. So their their expectations for service are high because they really want an interaction to go well the first time.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. So what I want to ask you next Bridget is in your book you talk about the four motivators and you say that this is something that businesses have to understand and, and in particular you talk about how a woman must be a connected with your brand and business. B, inspired to buy or take action. C, confident in their buying decision. And D, appreciated for their business. Can you break that down?
1: Well, sure. Well, Tim, uh, we've been researching women for almost 20 years now here at Female Factor. And these four motivators we know are really influential in making someone decide whether or not they're going to buy it all and then secondly whether or not they're going to buy from you instead of someone or somewhere else. Oh, and man. basically looking at these motivators which are just to repeat what you said, connected, inspired, confident and appreciated. They're 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 simple but powerful motivators and what we do when we work with clients is we help them reverse engineer the sales process to generate a positive emotional outcome uh, that contains one or more of these motivators for, for the buyer.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And I, and I love it. So we have a seven-step sales process that we run in our showrooms. We, we actually did a part of a podcast season on this about six months ago. And step two of our sales process is understand their problem. And it has to do with the connection point with the customer of making them feel like, you really empathize and you and you understand exactly what they need. Step three in the in the process is advise a solution, which has to do with coming alongside and inspiring them to see like this actually is the right thing and also trying to win that confidence over. And then step five in the sales process is call to action. And and I love that you're hitting these same things. And I think you do that really succinctly that, you know, if you think about it, especially in today's economy, people can buy anywhere. But in order to connect with you, I think that, yeah, they got to be connected with your brand. If you do it right, like you can inspire them to take action if you are going the distance of actually understanding what their problem is and showing the value that you offer.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. And you know, what we hear from women, especially um, in the consultative sales process, many women will find that, um, you know, listening, which I know is something you really advocate in your work. But, listening and going through that process of discovery and understanding the customer's needs, that process is often skipped and women will tell us that they're off. They're on the receiving end of somebody just sort of starting into their, their presentation or their spiel without stopping to actually ask the discovery questions. So a lot of times what seems like common sense isn't always common practice. And so you can really stand out in the field if you are demonstrating active listening, because even though it's a little bit 101, it doesn't happen all the time.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Because as a sales professional, you get into this tunnel vision where you've said the same thing a million times, you've heard the same situation a million times, and you start trying to be efficient by jumping to the finish line too quickly for your customer, and and this is perfect that you brought this up because it goes right into the next quote that I want to read to you. So as I was, I I listened to this on audiobook, and I'm on a run listening and and you said something that literally made me stop on my run and I started fist pumping. And you said, (laughs) it was amazing. I mean, because you said very often salespeople wrongly assume that the customer was a tire kicker because of their poor interpersonal skills when the client actually went and bought the same Thing elsewhere, and I, yes. that happens all the time in our industry. Can you elaborate on that? That a lot of salespeople don't have self awareness, and so they blame it on the customer when they really weren't a tire kicker. They're going to buy somewhere else. Well, you're so
1: right, Tim, and it's especially true in an industry like Hearth. Because if somebody has taken the time to get in their car, drive across town, show up in your parking lot, lock the doors of their car, stroll in maybe through ice and snow or rain and cross the threshold into your store, they are not a tire kicker. Yeah because it's not it's not a place that they would be casually strolling through. Yeah, we're not like They're going looking. to we're
0: not like going to IKEA on a Saturday cuz you got nothing better to do.
1: Right, right, exactly. So I and and what's interesting about the space that hearth is in is that it, it's it's such an emotional purchase and you know, it's the center of the home, the heart of the home in so many ways. And so people Probably you're you're working with them every day, but people are probably looking to that salesperson for the kind of inspiration and knowledge that they might not require in a different type of product purchase. But because hearth is so um, emotionally laden in terms of its place in the home, that that sort of elevates the need for an inspiring customer experience
0: okay so i want to ask you this then so i've seen this firsthand where salespeople will just blame someone will leave without an estimate written up or without the salesperson getting contact information and they'll just say ah they were just kicking tires they were just a looky-loo and really they weren't you know but it comes down to a lack of self-awareness why why is it so hard for salespeople to be self-aware in realizing maybe i just actually didn't connect with them the way that i should have
1: I think for any of us working in the, you know, the same job, no matter what your job is day in, day out, it is so hard to step back and remember what it was like when you didn't know anything about your industry, when everything was new to you or everything was interesting or exciting, or you wanted to go deeper. And so I think when it comes to serving customers, um, for example, you know, a hearth is not a a purchase that people will make maybe more than once or twice in their lifetime. Yeah. And so stepping back and remembering this is so huge for the these people that I'm talking to. This is going to change the look of their entire home. It might be the only one they ever buy and treating it with that reverence, I think is difficult For any of us, when we work in an industry every day, you know, we work with a lot of people in the automotive industry. Now, a car is often the second biggest purchase somebody will make in their lifetime outside of a home, buying a home. But that's not always that easy to remember when somebody just walks in the door.
0: Yeah, you start to take it for granted because you see it every day, you get desensitized to it. You know, it's funny that you talk about remembering what it was like before you had the industry knowledge. So we talk about this a lot on the podcast. Leela Fever calls it the curse of knowledge. And basically, he he says that that the, the more you learn about something, the more you forget what it was like. And so if we as like a hearth expert are operating at like the high end of the scale, like a nine or a 10, and our consumers are operating at a one or a two, very often... Thin, we can only bring things down so far, maybe do a five or a six or a seven, because we don't remember what it was like to be a one or a two. And it takes radical self-awareness, and I would argue discipline and practice to actually be able to get to that one or two level where you connect with customers. But when you can do that, man, I think you'd agree that like it's like lightning in a bottle. I mean, all of a sudden, you're the only person that has the medicine the customer's looking for because you're the only person that could actually empathize and speak to them where they were at.
1: Oh, I mean, you are so right, Tim. And you see this across so many different industries. And you know who who does this so well? is the people that are the employees of Apple stores. Because when you think about when Apple built its stores, a lot of pundits out there were saying, oh my gosh, well, you know, you've got all these brilliant people working at Apple, creating hardware or software, but dealing with customers, that's a whole different thing. You've got grandma and grandpa walking in. You've got little kids. You've got people of all ages and nobody nobody understands how these products work nobody yeah and yet the way they train their teams are to meet the customers where they are they have almost entirely jargon free conversations yes. you ever walk around an Apple store you notice all they're talking about is how you can you know make your life more efficient or more fun using iMovie they're just focused on, what is the end result of this technology in your life? And people walk out of an Apple store feeling smarter than when yes. they walked in. They don't feel and stupid. And that is miraculous, and it is a powerful driver of emotional connection.
0: Oh, that is so good. Yeah, they don't they don't beat you down and make you feel dumb because you don't know this insider language that you have no clue about. Instead, they act as like a teacher or a guide to empower you to do the things that you want to do in life that's a great analogy we'll get back to our conversation with Bridget Brennan in just a minute hey if you've been listening to the podcast this season you know that we've been talking about Wi-Fi a digital sales system that is here to help your business stay relevant and sell digitally during the COVID crisis now Most businesses today are in a really tough spot where they've relied on traditional means of selling for the last eight years and it's made them successful. The problem is that everything's been disrupted now and it's not going to go back the same. So the companies that are able to make a digital shift and begin their sales process online before finishing it in person are the ones that are going to win. And honestly, if you look at this everyone's worried about online retailers selling against you but I'm telling you if you are a brick and mortar business you have the silver bullet where you can start the process online with all of the ease and convenience of the online only retailers but you can finish it in person and that is a winning combination so if you want a sales system that generates instant online estimates for your customers follows up on every opportunity and connects them with your business when they're ready to buy you need to go to WiFire.com WiFire is something that partners with your website to make it more effective than ever you'll be able to generate instant estimates with customers follow up automatically with every opportunity and connect in person with a client as they have questions and are getting ready to purchase so to take control of your website and the digital sales process you can go to WiFire.com that's wifire.com. Yes. Okay, Bridget. So drilling down further, in the book, one thing that you talk about is you talk about the type of advisor that a customer wants to have. And I love this because it, it fits in. Step three in our sales process is advise the solution. So if we're going to be the advisor for a customer, there's, there's right ways and wrong ways to do this. But you talk specifically about the no questions asked advisor. And I see this all all the time in our industry. So I'd love for you to explain what is the no questions asked advisor and what is it the salespeople can do instead?
1: So the no questions asked advisor is definitely something nobody wants to be, but it's actually pretty common. And it, I like your phrase, Tim, of radical self-awareness. Uh, building pauses into a conversation and actually asking questions, I think people are hoping that they can get their customer to the answer as quickly as possible. And while that is a noble goal, because everybody wants to be efficient, in trying to do that, sales advisors will often skip over even the most basic questions about uh, the context of how the product will be used. So for women, when they're buying things, women are always thinking about context. I I call this a holistic buying style. And you mentioned IKEA a few minutes ago. IKEA. Really pioneered this holistic way of selling furniture by creating vignettes of the entire room. Mm-hmm. You know, you walk into, you know, for a for hundred years, furniture stores, a lot of them you walk in and the back row is all mattresses. And then maybe you've got another area with recliners. Well, as you know, and anybody on this uh, who's listening to the podcast who's been to an IKEA, They create the whole vignette down to the book on the coffee table or the art in the wall. They create context for for every purchase. And so I think context is really important for women, especially when they're buying big-ticket items. And the no-questions-asked advisor will often skip critical questions that would allow them to gain understanding about the home in which the hearth product is going to be placed.
0: And I think too, along with missing out on understanding, I think that when you're the no questions asked advisor, it instantly moves you towards a transactional sales interaction versus a relational one because you are killing any of the setup to build trust and goodwill with the consumer. Is that fair?
1: Oh, for sure. And if you really do understand, like, how is the room used, for example, in which the hearth product will be placed or who's typically in there? What are the typical activities going on in there? It gives you as a sales advisor, you're allowing the customer to give you all the fodder that you can then use to A, craft the right solution for them, but B, get them really excited about the product that you're talking about because you're able to put it in the context of their needs and their life. And without that, it can just feel flat and be a very flat one-sided conversation.
0: Yes. So Zig Ziglar calls that the sales shotgun. He he tells a story about buying a car and about how as they get information from him that that's actually loading rounds into the sales shotgun to be used later. Now, I would take that a step further and say that you never unload the sales shotgun on the customer, but you and the customer together point the sales shotgun at the problem and you fire away, but you have no ammunition if you have not done the slow, hard work of asking those questions. And you know this goes back to our sales process. Step two of the process is understand the customer's problem. And that's intentional. Step three is advise a solution. It's not present your product because I can present my product whether I know your situation or not. I can't advise you a solution for you if I don't understand your problem. We have to be super intentional with that. It'd be like going to a financial advisor and asking for them to help you, you know, plan for retirement. And they just start telling you things without finding out what you make, what you can afford, how your budget is. I mean, it's impossible to do that job unless you set it up slowly the right way.
1: You're so right. And, and you bring up financial advisor. And actually I have a, uh, I feature an interview, uh, in my book, winning her business, the story of a woman who had that exact experience with a financial advisor. And that is sort of the exhibit a on the no questions asked, uh, sales advisor section.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think that it's dead on. We gotta be thinking about that. One thing that I wanna ask you too, I I, this is one thing as I was as I was reading this next section of the book, it was another like stopping the run, fist bumping. I just I feel like you're a long (laughs) lost relative of mine because there was just there was so much in common with, with what I've been thinking about. And one of the things that you talked about in your book was overloading consumers, in particular female consumers, with too much choice. And you said something to the effect of too much choice can be crippling for customers. If you listen to them and understood their problem, you should be able to narrow it down to a few short things. And I want to riff on that for a second because it's absolutely true. And, and I think there's two brilliant things in, in what you said there. One is on the front end, absolutely, too much choice is a bad thing in our industry just generally doesn't understand this. We give customers way too much choice, crippling. We cripple them with indecision and we confuse them out of buying because we give them too much choice. But on the back end, I love that you highlight if you understand the customer's problem, there shouldn't be a million crippling choices and decisions, right?
1: Theoretically, absolutely. You are so right. Yes, that is true. And you know, everybody wants choice. I mean, we live in the USA where we've got all kinds of consumer choices. You know, when I sit in front of the TV at night, I'm like, I'm not even know, I don't even know what to watch these days because there's so much choice of great television out there that you kind of rely on different sources, whether it's friends or, or publications you read to help curate, you know, what choices should you be making there? But I think we, you definitely need a certain amount of choice for sure. People like to feel like they have choices, but it's up to the sales associate or it's up to the manufacturer or the retailer who's displaying these products, whether online or in a store to curate them in a way that makes sense for different types of customers. How can they be curated in a way that makes it manageable? Because that's where they're looking for your knowledge. We already know that everybody who walks into a store has already done we can assume some research online so now they're looking to talk to experts and and to help narrow those choices
0: well i think about two things like one of it one of those things has to do with familiarity so if i'm extremely familiar with something so like i like to play guitar so i'm i'm pretty familiar with how a guitar works so i actually like a variety of choice and customization because i'm 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 intimate with an understanding of what's available but the way that we need to think about our industry in the fireplace space, I mean, I give this example all the time that like, in my personal opinion, I think that our brands have zero equity equity with customers. doesn't matter how big your brand is. If you're the biggest manufacturer, if you're the biggest, you have zero equity with customers because you sell an unfamiliar product that they buy once every, you know, 20 to 30 years. And it would be like, if I was going to buy a car and I'm not a car guy, so I'm, I'm buying something that like I've got some familiarity with, but not a ton. And, a salesperson comes to me and says, Tim, I'm so glad you want to buy this car. What kind of lug nuts do you want? I've got this kind of lug nuts. I've got this kind. I've got this kind. I've got this kind. Now, the gaskets on your engine. I, I can get you this gasket. I can get you this one. Now, we've got two kinds of power locks for your doors. They both do the same thing, but this one uses this kind of a motor. This one uses this kind of a motor. At some point for me, that is more of a weight than I can bear because I'm so unfamiliar with what I should be doing, I'm going to go and buy elsewhere from someone that instead of giving me a million options, listens and understands my problems and says, hey, Tim, I understand you got a young family. You want to get an SUV. You're hoping for a black car that was in this budget. Guess what? I've got these three choices right here and any one of them is going to be terrific. Let's take a look at them one by one.
1: That is exactly it. And that's why asking the questions is so important. I mean, to go back to your car example, if you're just trying to sell somebody a car, but you haven't found out that they have both a three-year-old and a 90-pound dog that's always in the car, well, you're never going to be narrowing down to the right choice for that customer. So find that's really, really the key for why... Asking questions and understanding the client's need is so important. It allows you as the sales advisor to curate rather quickly, because you're a knowledgeable expert, the specific choices that can meet their needs. And then that's what your customer is looking to you for.
0: Yes. I mean,
1: they can spend all day on Google. They don't need Google. They need you to help narrow down. Uh, what's right for them.
0: Yes, that's the key. So so one of the shifts that we've made in our sales process in the showroom is we ask a series of questions at the beginning to narrow the scope of what's what's a possibility that could work in the customer's home, right? So we have a million fireplaces we could sell. But asking a series of questions, right. we can actually get it down to four or five very quickly. At that point, that's when the expertise of the sales professional comes in because they can And then say, here's the five models that we know are going to work in your space. Now, I'm going to advise you on this one or this one. And and I think that a lot of salespeople think they're doing customers a favor by giving them every single option, every single possibility, when really, if if you do the work, like you're saying, of asking the questions and understanding the problem, it's almost like a craftsperson working on a block of marble. That block of marble is getting some of it shaved off, some of it shaved off, and eventually... Oh, that's a good analogy. I mean, it really is, and eventually you start to get the statue underneath it, but it's only because you slowly, slowly, slowly were shaving and shaving and shaving away based on the questions that you asked and what you're left with. Me me and VP Berger have talked a lot about this, is is requisite variety. Enough variety that the customer is able to get what they need, but not so much that they're crippled with indecision, again, because because we don't sell a product, they have to have.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think that when um, when you know when you're asking these questions, one, it's important for the customer to feel like. They know why you're asking all these questions, you know, so that doesn't feel random that you're telling them this. this is why I'm going to ask you a few questions that are going to help me determine what's right for you, because now they have skin in the game and they know why you're asking them questions. You're not just gathering information. You're trying to help them. But also, I think when the choice is narrowed down to, let's just say, a couple of choices, I think customers, based on our research, really appreciate hearing about the trade-offs, so, you know, talking openly about the trade-offs. Well, if you if you buy this product that's going to give you a lot of warmth, but, you know, uh there might be some other thing that they the client should yeah. be thinking about. Talking about trade-offs is is often viewed as as very credible when it comes to narrowing down choices.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, I'm so glad that you went there with this because I think that giving the customer context, back to what you said, Context on why you're asking the questions is so important. So, I've seen businesses that when a customer comes in, maybe they got a great list of questions that they want to ask in order to help understand the problem, but they bombard the customer with an iPad right when they walk in, or they just start blasting away. And the customer feels like kind of like invaded, like, why do you want to know this about me and my space? So, what we've done so, this is funny. So, what we've realized is that customers, whether they're approaching a fireplace sale, uh, on the internet or they're coming into a brick and mortar showroom, they actually are looking for the same two questions to get answered. Question number one is what's going to work in my space. It's what everybody right. wants to know question Makes number sense. two is how much is it going to cost me and whether they're online or in the showroom, that's what they want to know. So, after the customer comes in and we and we go through greeting them and and building some initial rapport, we'll just use the language of, "Hey, would you mind having a seat at the desk? I'd love to learn a little bit about your space so we can show you the options that could work for you." What customer's gonna say no to that? <laughs> right. That's that's great, that's
1: great, and I you know I love that you you mentioned you know doing something on a screen immediately when someone walks into say a showroom or a brick and mortar environment. And that, that is not always the best way to greet, greet somebody.
0: Oh no. It's like, it, yeah, it's
1: no fun watching somebody else work on their screen. You only want to be on your own screen.
0: Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, and, and you definitely don't want to be like the Verizon store where you walk in, like going to the Verizon store and the Comcast store, like the two worst experiences of my life where you just get blasted by an iPad and you just feel like you're, you know, just a slab of meat. But I think that we, and we use screens a lot in our retail process, but we qualify it, you know, Hey, would you mind having a seat at the desk? I'd love to go through a few questions so that we can show you the options that could work in your house. How does that sound? And then customers are happy. Oh, and that's
1: spectacular. And saying, can you sit down? Like we're trying to make you comfortable. You're, You're right. That, that changes it up. It's not just standing there as soon as they're walking in the door, you know, thrusting a screen in their face.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I, I think that yeah it all comes down to that requisite variety of asking those questions and and we found a lot of success using a screen for that as long as you qualify it the right way you're not you're not just blasting them out of nowhere you're providing context to your point Bridget
1: well context is so important because in we all have Google in our pockets now so a, a lot of people will feel like I've already done a considerable amount of research before I even walk in the door. So as you know, that changes the imperative for any sales advisor working in almost any industry to add value beyond what they have found online, which is typically product information and not the context and getting to the, you know, how will it be used and the why and the ability for the sales advisor to bring in their own knowledge to add value to that customer's experience.
0: Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. Okay, Bridget, I want to ask you something else here. This is the last quote that I have from your book, but one thing that you talk about, and, and you talk about this just for sales in general, Man, it's so true, especially in our industry. But you say that there's no such thing as a tire kicker. Can you talk about why that is?
1: Yes, because when it comes to considered purchases, uh, in our time-pressed age, it's very rare that somebody is going to take the time to go somewhere, particularly in a brick-and-mortar environment specialty store. That doesn't have some interest in in the product. Yeah. And um, no one's a tire kicker because, A, they could end up buying it. But even if they don't, women talk about their buying experiences with their social networks and their friends. Uh, it's a very popular topic of conversation. And so even if you're dealing with a customer who doesn't end up buying anything, if they've had a great experience with you, you know, when they're hanging out with their friends who somebody's mentioning that they're thinking about getting a fireplace, they're going to tell them, you know, where you need to go, you know, who you need to see women's word of mouth is like rocket fuel for any business.
0: Mm I mean, I just, it's so true in our house. I mean, I think about my wife and her group of friends and so many purchases that we make are through the word of mouth of experiences and products that have helped my wife's friend group. I mean, it's absolutely true. And and along the lines of that, one thing that you talk about too in the book is you talk about the importance of follow-up and how many salespeople don't follow up with women and women actually expect and and want that follow-up, but a lot of salespeople are, are too lazy and so... Salesperson that wins is often the first or only one that follows up with them. What's going through a woman's mind when a salesperson doesn't follow up?
1: What's going through a woman's mind, based on our research, a lot of times we uh, we hear it, it can be boiled down to this, Tim. Well, I guess they didn't need my money. Hmm. Because uh, follow-up is probably the number one issue we hear when it comes to uh, you know, asking women, so how do you define a lousy service experience? Well, lack of follow-up is always either at the top or near the top. Mm-hmm. And that's when we hear things like, um, I guess they don't need my money because nobody ever followed up with me. You know, all things being equal, customers like to give their business to somebody that they feel deserves it. And if you're demonstrating through follow-up that you are working to earn the business, ideally you want your customer to think, it makes me happy to give my business to these people.
0: Yes, yeah, win-win. I think think that women, generally speaking, want a win-win scenario. I, I found that to be totally true. And I think that, You know, As I go speak to businesses around the country, I think that a lack of follow-up is often the lowest hanging fruit for improving both their sales and their customer experience. And it's something that just takes discipline. It doesn't take more advertising or marketing, but I think that if you're a business that doesn't have an intentional follow-up system, working on and investing in that will give you a bigger return on investment than just about anything else you can do quickly.
1: I think you're absolutely right. Because any considered purchase of a high dollar amount, you alluded to this earlier, if it's not an urgent need product, it's very easy to put off the decision. It's a high stakes decision. It's going to take, you know, it's complex, it's going to take some construction in the home. And so in an industry like this one, Arguably, follow up is even more important to inspire the customer to take action.
0: I, I could not agree more. Well, Bridget, this has been amazing. I got to thank you, number one, for you know all the time that you spent with me this summer at Summer Summit, and number two, just for coming on the podcast today. It's been awesome to get to pick your brain on this. But I want to ask you because you're an author, you're a keynote speaker, you contribute to different online outlets. Where can people check out more of your work who are interested?
1: Oh, thank you. Well, I would, first of all, I would send them to either to their favorite bookseller to pick up a copy of either my new book, Winning Her Business, which just came out in paperback in March, or Why She Buys, my first book. Also, my columns can be found if you Google Bridget Brennan on Forbes and my website, BridgetBrennan.com.
0: Amazing. Well, and I'm just gonna vouch for those two books. I mean, for me personally, when I read Why She Buys, I walked away thinking I know nothing about selling to women. There's a lot that I need to be very humble about in the way that I listen, in the way that I assert myself. And that book was amazing. Winning her business for me was it is geared towards women, but holy cow, man, if you want to have a customer experience that is on fire, that book was just incredible. So Bridget, thank you for coming on the podcast today.
1: Well, thank you for having me and thank you for reading both of those books and pumping your fist in the air and remembering the quotes. I, I really appreciate
0: it. My pleasure, Bridget. Well, hey, we'll see you sometime soon. Thanks again. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Bridget Brennan. I absolutely loved getting to chat with her. and. As I go back and listen to this while I edit it, I am just blown away at the concepts that she has. I think that they're so synonymous with the content that we talk about every week on this podcast. And I want to highlight a few things for you that she talked about that were just brilliant. Bridget calls them the four motivators, but she says in order for someone to do business with you, they need to be, number one, connected with your brand and business, number two, inspired To buy or take action number three confident in their buying decisions and number four appreciated for their business if you can make a customer feel connected inspired confident and appreciated that is a recipe for success not once but for referral business over and over and over so be thinking about what can i do to foster my customers being connected with me What can I do to make clients and customers feel inspired to buy and take action after they buy? How can we make them feel confident in their decision and lastly, appreciated for their business? So big deal. Another thing that we talked about that she mentioned in chapter five of her book, Winning Your Business, is that very often salespeople wrongly assume that customers were tire kickers because of their poor interpersonal skills, not the customers, the salespersons, when the client actually went and bought something elsewhere. I can't tell you how often I see this in our industry. I have had this happen with team members before that were not self-aware to the way they came across with customers. They sat there complaining about why do we have all these tire kickers that are coming in? The truth was, the salesperson made the assumption of believing the customer wasn't that serious because they didn't want to take an honest look in the mirror at their own behavior on the sales floor. Do not make this mistake. You know, we got to ask the question, when people don't buy from us, whose fault is it? Is it their fault or our fault? Honestly, it's our fault. It's not theirs. So we got to point the finger at ourselves and say, how can we become more self-aware of what we do so that we can serve customers better and lead them into more purchases? The last thing that I want to mention that I thought was just terrific is how she talked about too much choice being crippling for customers. In her book she said that if you listen to them and understand their problem, you should be able to narrow it down to a few short things. And I want to echo that 100% that fireplaces are complex, no question. There's a lot of technologies, there's a lot of models, but if you listen to your customers, it is not that hard to narrow it down to just a few short things. So don't be be the kind of salesperson that compensates for lack of sales prowess by just throwing every option out there to make yourself sound smart rather listen and serve your customers take longer on the front end understanding their problem than you think you need to so that that way on the back end you can narrow it down to a few choices where they can decide do i want a b or c Because really what happens with the customer is once you get past just a few choices, they start to get crippled with worry and overwhelm because they're sitting there thinking, oh, there's a million options and what if I make the wrong mistake and I just don't know and they put the decision off. If you can narrow it down to two or three choices, they're going to feel like they still have a say in deciding what's right for them, but they're not crippled with decision fatigue and they will make a choice. So... I hope that that conversation gave you value. I know for me, I got a ton out of it. Well, before we sign off, if you have not signed up yet for the FireTime Network, you're missing out. And you need to go to the FireTimeNetwork.com and sign up for free today. Basically, me and Grant Falco built a social media platform for the fireplace industry. It's totally free to join. The only cost is that you have to fill out a survey on the state of our industry and the state of our expo. And after that, you'll be guided to sign up for it. But the FireTime Network is providing some really cool things for the people that are inside the group. Number one is community. We are finding a community rising up that is helping each other get through this crisis together. Number two is content. We have all kinds of free content inside the Firetime Network to help you grow your business. I have a course that's called Winning More Showroom Sales that's just about you taking control of your showroom and maximizing the opportunity that you have there. Grant Falco donated a course that's called Delivering the Perfect Installation and I'm telling you it is a game changer the last thing in the firetime network is growth we're finding that the community of people there want to grow and they are committed to helping each other with it so if you're looking for community if you want content to help your business and ultimately you want to experience growth then you have to join the firetime network so with that in mind I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. You guys are the future leaders of our industry, and I know that what we're doing here is special. So I hope you guys have an amazing week, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. The music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the fire time podcast where it's never hot enough slow is fast and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to we'll see you next time